Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. Now, as you get settled, we are still in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, I see Phil back there. If you need a Bible this morning, if you'd like to look on, we put the scripture on the overhead, but if you'd like to follow along in the Bible, don't have one this morning, just wave it at one of our ushers. They'll help you with that. Ephesians chapter 4. All right. Ephesians chapter 4. And also, I see one back there, one down there, guys. Back in the back. All right. Ephesians chapter 4, which is kind of middle way through the New Testament. Um, two-thirds of the way through your Bible, if you open it up. Ephesians chapter 4, and then 1 Peter chapter 2, which is more cl- closer to the end of the Bible. 1 Peter chapter 2. If you'll just stick something there, we're going to go over there in just a few minutes. Ephesians chapter 4. Today, as we continue in this, and we're looking at verse 29 and 30, as we continue in this, what we talk about today may have some of the greatest impact on our witness our demonstration of the Christ life, the work of Christ in us, of anything that we've talked about in recent weeks. And you realize that we're in the, this middle of this section where the Apostle Paul is telling us we put off an old way of living and we put on a new way of living by the power of the Holy Spirit that's at work in us. We don't do it in our own strength. We do it by His power. But what he's going to talk about today, there is no doubt that it requires His power to do what we're going to talk about today. How many of you, just to date some of us, to see how old we really are, how many, how many of you remember either having your mouth washed out with soap or the threat of your mouth being washed out with soap? Okay, all right. Some of you, you're older than I thought. All right. <clears throat> I don't think parents do that anymore. Um, but, uh, but back in the day, there was a day when certain words would come out of your mouth and either you had the privilege, I have had the privilege of soap in my mouth. It is not pleasant. Um, or the threat of soap in your mouth. I mean, you don't, you don't, if you say that again, I'm going to wash your mouth out with soap. Here's the problem with that. I understand the heart behind it. I understand the desire, which is to, to change our behavior. But washing your mouth out with soap does nothing for the, to, to help fix the problem. It just gives you a bad taste in your mouth. Because the problem goes way deeper than the mouth. It goes all the way to the heart. And so the Apostle Paul is addressing that today. He's saying there's this work of the Spirit in our heart to change the way we speak, to change our words. We're going to talk about words today. And it really, what do words produced by the new man look like? We call them new man words. But what are new woman words? What does the power of the Spirit produce in us, as far as our words and our speech. Look with me, let's read Ephesians 4. This is our primary text today, Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting, your translation may say something different than that. I'll tell you one of the best translations I think of that particular word, because that Greek word is only used, um, besides here, it's used over in the Gospels, over Matthew 7, um, Matthew 13, and Luke 6. And Luke 6 is the same as Matthew 7, as far as the same story. But it, had to, it referred to rotten fruit 
or rotten fish. Okay, that's how the word is used. So I think the, let no rotten talk, no decaying, lifeless, tastes bad, gives no energy, has no good purpose, let none of that come out of your mouth. But only such is good for building up. As fits the occasion, I love that, he's not saying, don't just be speaking all the time, even as, if it's for the purpose of building up, don't just be always talking, it has to fit the occasion. It needs to be led by the Spirit, that it may give grace to those who hear, that's a really important part, that it may give grace. What is grace? I mean, there are all kinds of ways people say it's unmerited favor. It's, um, I, the ministry I grew up in, we define grace as the desire and power to do God's will. Um, I mean, there are a lot of different, I don't know if there's one great just single definition of grace, but one thing that we know about grace, it causes you and me to see Jesus, to want to press into Jesus, to know Jesus, to be like Jesus, to, to have his life live through us. That's what grace does. Do your words produce that kind of response in other people? Because that's what he's saying. We want our words to, to really be filled with grace so that people, they want to know Jesus. They want to press in. They want to see him. They want to hear him. Verse 30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. All right, real quickly, I'm going to share with you a couple things that I believe to be true that I think are practical in the day and age which we live that aren't direct spiritual, uh, they're not directly scriptural quotes. They're not direct scriptural instruction for us. So I preface it as that, but I want you to wrestle with it a little bit. And then I'm going to share with you over in 1 Peter 2 what is directly scriptural, right out of God's word for us when it comes to our words. All right, so first, these are the things that I think it's important for us as believers to at least consider and think about in the day and age in which we live. What kind of words should we speak or not speak? Because we're putting off certain words, we're putting on other words. Let me just say it, and then I'll let you wrestle with it, okay? Because I've had to wrestle with this. Anything that God takes seriously that we would use lightly that we would use as an expression of anger or an exclamation a, an adjective for a sporting event or a car or something else in a, in, a, in a light flippant sort of way for example the word hell it's more than just a word, it's a biblical concept, something that God takes very seriously. How do we use it? Do we just use it as punctuation in our sentence? And you're going to say, Troy, you're sounding old this morning. This is not about age or culture or anything. I want you to wrestle with something here. And again, there's no direct scripture that says, thou shalt not say the word hell in a sentence. There isn't. So I wouldn't lead you to say there is. I would challenge you as a believer to ask the Holy Spirit, how does he want me to use words that God takes very seriously? How do we use them? Hell's an appropriate word. It has an appropriate place and meaning. It's used often in our culture, I think, in inappropriate places, inappropriate ways. The same is true for damn. Back in this past summer, we were out west. 
I took my kids to Hoover Dam. They were so excited because they could make all the dam jokes they wanted that day. All right? I got tired of it after a while. Dad, I'm going to the damn bathroom. Dad, I'm going, you know, all this stuff. Different word, okay? Spelled differently. The whole thing. I guess for preacher's kids, that's a, that's a real treat. So it's like getting sugar or something. I don't know. But um, the word that we often, often use is short for damnation. I don't know about you, but I'm not sure that the Spirit of God in me wants to damn someone or something. Damnation is the longer version of what we have shortened. Something that God has created special and sacred, how do we use it? For example, example, anything that has to do with the human body or sexuality, and yet we make a four-letter word out of it. The scripture does not have a list of words that you should and should not say. So I'm not going to give you a list. I am going to ask you to go to the Holy Spirit and say, are there parts of my conversation that don't line up with the new man, the new woman that I am, that you are making me? Are there things that I'm expressing in anger or in frustration or for emphasis or to try to get somebody's attention to make sure they know I'm serious about this? But I'm expressing them in a way that I'm using words that God says, I have a very serious purpose for those things. Or, again, there are things that we use that are just crude. Words that can be used that are just crude. I think of that word again, corrupting, rotten talk. Decay. Anybody ever bitten into a piece of fruit and found out it was rotten? It's awful. Is that happening among the... Now, again, I know it's happening in the culture. And it's, and it's ever-changing within the culture. Something else that you need to understand, though, as believers, we don't, we don't have our standard based on the culture around us. The culture is always going to be changing. The culture may say something's wrong. There are things now that I remember hearing as a kid. Culture said that was fine to say. Now the culture says, no, that's not fine to say. There were things when I was a kid that said, no, you can't say that. Now the culture says it's okay to say that. It's not a problem. My grandfather would not, oh, I remember as a kid, he would not allow anyone to use the word pregnant. To him, that was crude. A woman was either, she was either with child or, or in the family way or whatever. You couldn't use the word pregnant. Now, we use the word pregnant all the time. Societal norms change, okay? This is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about things that God would say, I've created certain things for a certain purpose. And I've put my picture, my image on. When we talk about the human body and human sexuality, God says, this is something I put my stamp on. Do we just use it as a four-letter word? I'm going to challenge you to go to the Lord and say, Lord, are there parts of my conversation? And here's the other thing. You say, well, Troy, I don't really use those words, or maybe occasionally. Well, here's the other challenge that we have. What do we do for entertainment value that saturates our life with this kind of speech? It's a challenge. I'm not, are you saying I can't go see movies? No, I'm not telling you anything. I'm not telling you can or can't do anything. You have liberty. You have as much liberty as the Holy Spirit gives you. But you need to seriously, I need to seriously say, Holy Spirit, how do you want me to live my life? No corrupting talk coming out of my mouth 
which means my ears aren't listening to corrupting talk all the, all the time. Because here's the greatest speech. The greatest speech that you and I will engage in is the speech that we give to ourselves. What we say to ourselves, either truth or lies, dictates so often how we live our life. All right? Now, I felt like the Lord wanted me to share those things with you. Again, I don't share them as thus says the Lord. I share them in my own personal journey and struggle with the things that come out. And I'm a verbal person. I use words. I can be an angry person. So sometimes it would be handy to have some of these. I could throw in there <laughs> for emphasis, you know. And you'd say, well, I know, I know another person who's a Christian, and they use it. That's fine. I'm not judging them. I'm asking you to do the very thing that the Holy Spirit calls me to do, which is, what do you want to come out of my mouth? What does it look like? Now, you say, well, Troy, what do we know for sure when it comes to words about Scripture? There's not a lot where it defines for us words. Use this word, don't use that word. There's, not a, lot. There's a lot about words in Scripture. It says that our words should edify. It says that they should be life-giving. It says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. It talks about our word. It says the tongue is an unruly evil set on fire by hell. It talks about the tongue. It talks about words a lot. But it doesn't give us a lot of specifics. But there is one place where there are some, some great specifics. I don't even think I gave this verse to them, so it may not be on the overhead. But if you turn with me over to 1 Peter, I'll show it to you. 1 Peter chapter 2. Look with me, starting in verse 21. I was asking the Lord about this, because I thought, Lord, I don't want to preach anything that's not consistent with who you are and what you say. And I don't want to make up stuff based on my standard or somebody else's standard. I won't know, what is your standard for us as believers? This passage, I believe, is as clear a standard for us as believers as anything you'll find in all of Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 2. And by the way, I love it that Peter wrote this because he's the one who cursed and denied that he knew Jesus. Don't you love God? Don't you just love his grace and what he does? He's like, you know what, Peter? You're the one with the potty mouth. I'm going to have you write this, all right? Okay. Look with me at verse 21. For to this you have been called. We've been talking about our custom-made calling, Right? So can we agree that this says whatever's coming next we've been called to? We've been called to this. To this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. An example for what? An example for us to live. If Christ lived this way, he's saying he was an example so you'll know how the Holy Spirit's going to work in you so that you live. So that you might follow in his steps. Look at verse 22. He committed no sin. Well, we've already messed that one up, okay? But we have entered into his sinlessness by faith because of what he has done. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. All right? So here's the first one. You know for sure that lying, manipulation, misleading is not a part of the believer's talk. It's just not there. We don't, we don't lie. We don't mislead, we don't misrepresent, we don't manipulate. There's no deceit. Some translations say no guile. We are not using our words to lead someone to a conclusion that is not truthful. 
Period. Which means I don't embellish. I don't share half-truths. I don't manipulate people to get them to do what I want and give only partial information so that I can then get them to respond in a certain way. The Holy Spirit's going to do a work in that area. And by the way, we all can do that. Every one of us are probably guilty of doing that. The Holy Spirit wants to do a work so that my, my yay is yay, my nay is nay. Yes, yes, no, no. My truth is his truth. That word is so popular, this is my truth. My truth must line up with his truth. Look at this, the next one. The first one is no lying, deceit, manipulation. Second one, verse 23. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. I looked this word up. It's used in a number of places. When the Pharisees said to him, we know we are sons of Moses, but we don't know about you. It says that they reviled him. When they said that we know who our father is, but you don't, they reviled him. In other words, when he was on the cross, it says they reviled him. The word literally, if we were going to translate insult, insult is probably the best translation. I am not going to insult someone's person. I'm not going to insult their intellect. I'm not going to call them stupid or an imbecile or a moron. Not even for humor's sake. I'm not going to insult their nationality, their gender, or their race. Now see, this one has changed in our culture, and it's a good thing. Culture is lined up. For example, we don't use the N-word anymore. That's a cultural shift, and it's a good cultural shift, but God never used it. So when I line up with him, I don't have to worry about which way the culture goes. Because now the culture will use words that God probably wouldn't. I do not insult. The Holy Spirit in me does not cause me to use words that would be insulting, demeaning, derogatory, putting down. doesn't matter who we are, what position we hold. As a believer, we do not have that right. You say, Troy, we are Americans. We have free speech. Yes, as an American, you have that right. As a believer, you do not. So which one are you going to follow? Which one are you going to be first? Talking about our message a week or two ago. Which one are you going to be first? An American or a believer? A follower of Jesus Christ or an American citizen? I am a proud American citizen, but not first. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ first. We don't insult. We wouldn't insult someone in things that they cannot change. We would not insult them in their appearance, their intellect, their family situation, their social status, their financial status. We would not insult them. That was the first part of verse 23. It continues, when he suffered. Another way you could translate that word, when he was tortured. When he was harmed. He did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. 
So we don't lie, manipulate, mislead. We do not insult. We do not threaten when we are hurt. You hurt me. I'm going to make you pay if it's the last thing I ever do. That's a threat. I'm going to make sure everybody knows exactly who you are. That's a threat. Now, there are times where we can warn someone, and I want to make this distinction. I can warn you that certain behavior may lead to certain consequences. Not necessarily for me, I'm not threatening you, but if you continue down this path, these consequences could come your way because this is just how life works. I do this with my children all the time. If you continue down this path, these are potential consequences that you could face. That's a warning. That's completely legitimate. A threat is, I'm going to make you hurt me, I'm going to make sure you hurt. That's a threat. The Lord Jesus didn't do any of those things. And so when the Apostle Paul is talking about words that are not rotten, words that are life-giving, he's saying, here's our example. We have the Lord Jesus Christ as our example. And this is what he did. Now, here's the flip side of that. Paul doesn't just stop and say, put off this, stop doing this. But he says, by the work of the Spirit, put on this. Have your speech give life. Have it give life. Build up. Encourage. Now again, I've shared some of my story with you. This has been the struggle of my life and one where I have to keep coming back and submitting to the Holy Spirit because I grew up in a family, we weren't big on praise, okay? High praise in my family was, you didn't screw that up as badly as I thought you would. That was high praise in my family, okay? So if you wanted words of affirmation, you wouldn't want to be born into my family, all right? They weren't there. Usually it was, you messed that up. That's wrong. Why don't you understand that? How many times do I have to tell you? Why can't you get it right? Why can't you be like so-and-so? Why can't you get it through your thick skull? Some of you resonate with that because you can hear those same words. And it's a challenge in our lives because we are impacted by what we've experienced and what we've grown up in. And it is a challenge at times in my life and in my family to remember, use my words to give life. Not to insult, not to harm, not to tear down, but to build up. I haven't always done it. I still don't always do it. But I'll tell you what the, the Holy Spirit does is he points it out so quickly now. Used to, I would miss it all together and Lori would have to show me. All right, now she only has to show me every once in a while. Most of the time, the Holy Spirit quickly brings it to mind and says, hey, that isn't, that isn't my speech for you. So I had to go back to people and say, you know what? I used these particular words and I'm sorry. I was wrong. Those weren't edifying. Those weren't full of grace or faith. I want to challenge you too. Sometimes we're, not, we're, we're, we're patting ourselves on the back that we're not saying, quote, bad words but we're saying words that have no faith in them. And folks, that's sin. So we pat ourselves on the back that we don't cuss like a sailor. Whatever a sailor cusses like, I don't know. But, and yet we walk around all day spouting out faithless words and don't realize that's sin. 
Because whatever's not of faith is sin. That doesn't mean that we can't express when we have a hurt or a need or struggle. Yes, we can express it. But I also want to be able to do like David. David is the great example. He would express the need, the hurt, the anguish, and then he would immediately say, but Lord, you're bigger. You're greater. You're more. This is me and this is this, but you're more. That's faith. And that's balanced. That's biblically balanced. Our words have the power. Proverbs 18, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Much death is spoken in our culture under the name of free speech and my truth. Much death is spoken. This is an area where by the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I can be radically changed and be radically different than the culture around us. And I believe, based on what the Scripture says, we should be. We should be. Why? Well, there are a lot of reasons. But in verse 30, he says that you and I have the potential to grieve the Holy Spirit. To break his heart. Make him sad. I don't know if the Holy Spirit gets depressed, but he certainly grieves. How do we do that? By our words. The context of this is very clear. Our words can cause grief. Now, if I require the power of the Holy Spirit in me, chapter 3, remember chapter 3, verse 20? He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think by the power that is at work within us. Well, if I want that power at work within me, operating at full strength, I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit in my life. I want to submit to the Holy Spirit and cooperate with Him in my words. Now, some of you are sitting there and say, Troy, I have a solution to this. This is my answer. I just don't use any words. I just don't talk. Okay? It isn't an absence of speaking that the, the, that the Apostle Paul is, is, is encouraging here. He's not saying the answer to this is just be a monk and don't speak. Take a vow of silence. That's not what he's saying. He's saying all of us have a tendency in the old man following that old way of thinking. We have a tendency to tear down with our words, to insult with our words, to threaten with our words, to hurt people like they've hurt us with our words. He's saying, I want to do something supernatural in your life so that where they hurt you, you want health for them. That where they threaten you, you'll encourage them. Where they, where they persecute you, you pray for them. You lift them up. You say, Troy, that doesn't make any sense. Kevin read it earlier this morning during worship. Isaiah 55. My ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. Have you caught on yet that God doesn't think like we think? It's way better than the way we think. And it's not just a way of thinking. There is power at work in us to transform not just how we think, but how we speak. What would your family look like if the Holy Spirit took control of every tongue? What would church look like if the Holy Spirit had control of every tongue? What would our world look like if every believer submitted their tongue to the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in their life? Now, a couple things and then I'm going to wrap this up. 
One, don't go around trying to fix everybody else's tongue, okay? Don't do it. It will leave you frustrated and them unchanged. You're not out, you're not on it, your mission in life, your calling is not to fix their tongue. It's to have the Holy Spirit fix yours. And be amazed at what he might do in others because of what he does in you. It's always his way. It's always his way. He does a work in somebody and then allows that work in them to, to be an influence to those around. It's always been his way. Old Genesis, Genesis all the way through. You look. He will do a work in someone and then allow them to influence the people around. He still does the same thing today. So your mission this morning is not to go out and fix everybody's tongue, okay? Or stop them when they say, hey, my pastor said you shouldn't use that word. The Holy Spirit can do that. And by the way, if they don't have the Holy Spirit in them, then what are we expecting? I'm talking to those of us who have the Holy Spirit in us. If you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, you talk like somebody who doesn't have the Holy Spirit. That's normal for you. We need to understand that. That's the reason I love being somewhere and be around somebody, and they are swearing at one side, just going on, and then they'll turn and say, by the way, what do you do? <laughs> Most of the time, I don't like to tell people, but in those situations, I get a little mischief. You know, there's a little mischief that comes up. I'm a pastor. Oh, you know, you can almost see it. It's like, I'm so sorry. And it's like, brother, you don't have to worry, man. If God's not offended, I'm not. So it doesn't matter what you say in front of me. I'm just like you. Don't go try to fix everybody else's language. Not even your family. We can encourage one another. We can come alongside and try to build up. And when someone is speaking in a hurtful way or a faithless way, we can, we can model what different speech looks like. But here's the most important part. The only way that your tongue and my tongue changes is if we submit it. In other words, think of it this way. I must submit my right to say what I want to say, when I want to say it, how I want to say it. I surrender that right. It no longer belongs to me. If we don't surrender, then our tongue will do damage. Because nothing works under the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing in our life works without surrender. We surrender to him. And then he changes. I want you to bow your heads with me. I love to be around people who speak in faith, who have surrendered tongues, who speak truth, truth with love. Those who have surrendered their tongues so they don't always speak. Sometimes they say nothing, but even in their silence, it's deafening.
I'm challenged, I'm encouraged by those who just build others up with their tongue. Because the Holy Spirit's at work, He's doing that. Now some of us may naturally, we may come by this exercise or habit more naturally. But in all of us, it requires a work of the Spirit to live out life this way. It's much easier to correct and criticize. Much easier than it is to build up with your words, to encourage, to inspire, to motivate. So my challenge to you this morning is the same challenge for myself. I have not arrived in this. You ask anybody close to me, they'll tell you I have not arrived. I'm growing. But this I can tell you, I again today, as I do almost every day of my life, I surrender my tongue. I want my tongue to be the pen of a ready writer, as David said in Psalm 45. I want the Holy Spirit writing with my tongue the messages that He wants to communicate. You say, Troy, I'm in some difficult situations where there could be abuse, there could be danger, there are all kinds of things. I'm not saying that there are times where we need to speak truth or speak up. The Holy Spirit's going to give you wisdom. What I am saying is He wants to control the heart behind the words that come out. He wants to be in control of that. Because out of the abundance of the heart, Matthew 12 says, the mouth speaks. Today, would you be willing to surrender your tongue? Again, maybe. Maybe this isn't the first time, but surrender it again. Say, Holy Spirit, it's yours. I surrender. You're doing a work in my heart. I want my words to reflect that. And when we mess up, and we will, we come back right back and say, Holy Spirit, I messed up. I took it back. I took my tongue back. So again, I surrender to you. I receive from you. Lord, help us. Help me. Cause us, Lord, even this week, to be able to speak in a different way to the person that's hardest for us to love, hardest for us to encourage, hardest to even be around. Lord, would you cause there to be a change in our heart and thus in our speech with that individual this week? Even if nothing changes on their side of the equation, Lord, I want, I want to be surrendered to you 
in every part of my life, especially my tongue. Right now in this place, as you visualize it, it's an altar here. You're laying yourself there on that altar, according to Romans 12. And yourself includes your tongue, your mouth, your speech. It also includes your heart. Now, as we're surrendering this morning, I give you one more suggestion, just the Holy Spirit challenges me with is learn from others who do this better than you do learn from others jesus obviously is our model but he's got representatives here on this earth who are better at it than i am and so i learn i try to learn from them I try to watch and observe I look for ways to be uplifting edifying i was talking to someone recently one of the things that I was challenged with years ago was to try to begin to learn the meanings of people's name so that when you meet someone, you're having a conversation. There's tremendous spiritual meaning in names, and most people don't know. But I could encourage them and say, you know what your name means? Your name means pure. That's what your name means. Or your name means this. Or in my case, my name means steadfast. Steadfast burden bearer. My first and middle name. I didn't know that. I see God's hand in it now, but I didn't know it when I was younger. Look for people around you that God's using in this way. Learn from them. Lord, help us. Help us be life givers with our tongue. Our, our speech seasoned with grace. And where it's not, Holy Spirit, be faithful to show us. You will. I don't even have to ask. You will. You will show us. Then give us what we need to respond to you. Not to justify it, not to excuse it, but to respond to you. We pray this in Jesus' name.